And we had all that buttoned up last September for this season. And then in mid-March, uh, two of our teams just were not able to feel the, the people together to come and help us, and they pulled out at the last minute there in mid-March. That covered our three primary weeks of camp. And to say that was stressful would be an underestimation. Because at that time, and for a number of weeks after, it just looked like we were going to have to wipe those camps off the books. We just were not going to be able to host them. So, uh, we worked. Uh, I did a lot of work, phone calls, emailing, messaging. You guys prayed for us through that. And uh, suffice it to say that uh, we had last week in camp, the first week of June, uh, had 20 students there. And we do a kind of specific Alaska Native Youth Camp there uh, because there's some indigenous folks who come in and speak with, within the culture, from within the context of the culture of these Native kids. And many of them have uh, issues and things going on in their lives are just, uh, I can't describe them how exponentially difficult that they are in comparison to what most of us experience and live. Uh, and so uh, they had 20 campers last minute week camps, a little bit more than they had last year. That's some good conversations about the future, and I'm so looking for that. Uh, then our team had a week off, and then uh, today, kids camp, which we thought we were going to cancel, is happening. And there are 39 little campers going out there today. And God provided more than enough staffing, including some uh, junior staffers that came through friends and partners of the ministry, so those will be older teens who will help with the younger teens and they will also be the energy that the old folks who would be like me don't have to run around with kids for five days. And uh, tremendous, just tremendous that that's happening. And then one that is still giving us trouble but is going to happen starts a week from today that's youth camp. Uh, somehow in a week and a half we went from 19 campers to 32, praise God. Uh, but we have staffing issues with that. We still need a couple of older guys who uh, could go and stay out for that week, and we're working on that. Part of what has complicated that is two other things that have happened with our staffing that I do want to ask you to pray about. One of those is uh, one of our young men, Eli Boyle, and his wife, uh, Gracie, they are part of our summer missionary staff. They're actually leaving today to go back home because they have a death in the family. And so they're going back home to be with family. They will be returning, it looks like, for our four weeks of camp in July, praise God, because we'll need them. But they were going to be part of our, our emergency staff for youth camp. And so there's two two bodies that, that will not be available to us next week. So we're praying through that. I think we're going to be okay. But if you will pray with us, and if you know anyone, college age or older, who might want to just go and spend a week at camp, it's a fantastic location, and we can talk about that soon. Hello. Send them my direction, and uh, let's let's get connected. Uh, but then, uh, secondarily, we have another summer staffer, her name's Michaela Rose. Uh, she, uh, it will be exciting. We have three Native uh, girls with us as summer staff this year, who all came up through our camping program, uh, in the kids camp or youth camp, the last day of youth camp, and are now old enough and they wanted to return as summer missionaries to help fulfill the mission of this organization. One of those is Kayla Rose. And uh, she's a fabulous young lady. Um, lots of energy, a great smile. And she just really loves the Lord. Let me get a drink here. And uh, last Thursday, two Thursdays ago, 
she was down at the lakefront with all the, the kids. Well, I say all the kids. There were only three people in the lake. 55 degree water, right? But uh, we'll see how that goes this week. There's a lot more annual kids in camp this week. The native kids, they don't care what temperature the water is. They're going in the lake. And so she was down there with three other young campers. And a friend, she drowned. She's, uh, she's 19 years old. She drowned. And one of the other campers noticed that she was under the water and began to drag her to shore. And then Eli, the one who was leaving today, who just got, I believe, his first CPR, first day AED, AED training, exactly a week from that day, um, immediately rushed to her aid, got her on the beach, and gave her CPR, and she was resuscitated on the beach. Um, she spent a night in the intensive care unit. She got pneumonia. <coughs> She's cognitively okay. She is recovering. And yesterday, she went to a birthday party for her aunt and uh, went to church uh, last night. And our camp staff actually went to church with them and got to sit with her and her family at church. And so uh, we are incredibly grateful that God sustained her. Seems sort of remarkable, but for a long time, a limited number of camp staff received first aid and CPR training. When Tyler and Carrie, who were part of us, became the camp directors, uh, we said, This is going to get. Probably going to have my. Yeah, please. Is it not working on lines? It sounds good in the house. All right. Probably fix that if you want me to. Stand by car. Maybe. Previously, uh, limited staff at the camp had received CPR and first aid training. And when the Canucks came on, we made the decision that every single staff person would receive CPR, first aid, and AED training every year, regardless of whether they had certification somewhere else, because we never know who our summer staff's going to be. So that way, everybody gets the same training at the same time. And then, uh, praise God, we did. Yeah. Because if uh, Eli hadn't been there and hadn't been trained, Probably. So, bless the Lord for that. Um, understand that's why it's, it's been exhausting, is those sorts of things. And then just, you know, dealing with the everyday things of ministry and life and uh, people's lives, losing my friend Randall uh, here a few weeks ago has been heartbreaking. And I wanted to tell you about that briefly. And then we'll jump into some scripture here. I don't want to keep you a long time today. Uh, Randall Peck. Member of our church came to Christ a number of years ago on my back porch uh, over a barbecue grill. Um, and they got baptized here just several months back, finally got baptized. Uh, passed away unexpectedly at his home, had a heart attack, the best that we know. Uh, anyway, the family has already had a small uh, memorial service of their own because they had a whole bunch of their own issues that they just couldn't overcome. And uh, he was also a huge part of our friends at TDA Theater. 
community and they're super busy right now. Most of them are in Valdez for a theater conference right now. So the best I can tell you is that sometime towards the end of August, we'll partner with TVA Theater, probably host something right here and uh, have a, a celebration of Randall and his life. And uh, with all of that being said and them being involved, it'll be weird and quirky and fun and we'll celebrate Jesus with a whole bunch of people who probably don't know Jesus. It'll be a good time. All right, so stay tuned for that. Woo! All right, now I'm going to talk about Christmas. Sorry. Would you go with me to Romans chapter 5? Romans chapter 5, verse 1. And first off, I want you to be greatly encouraged by these words. They should be encouraging to you. We're going to go from uh, verse 1 through 8. Now notice that first word in Romans chapter 5 verse 1 is the word therefore. Now, I'm not going to go all the way back through chapters 1 through 4 this morning, but that could be your assignment sometime after today to get context on why he says therefore the summary is he says therefore and then lays out the case that he's about to lay out is that prior to this he has described the sinful broken state of the human heart because of the stain of sin and our need to be reconciled to God. We sang about that in that last song. You know, I'm broken inside. Give me your life. I'll give you mine. That is the core message of the book of Romans. Is that humanity has been broken by sin and needs to be reconciled to God in order to be rescued for all of eternity, as well as to be given life that Jesus promised, Jason spoke about it last week, life abundant on this earth. So that's what is, that's what is contained within the word therefore, is an in-depth discussion of how sin entered the world, what its effects are, what the problem is, and why we need to be reconciled to God. And then here's the remedy. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord, Jesus Christ. This, is a, this echo is something that we see in Ephesians. Jason was in Ephesians last week, but a little bit later than this passage, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Uh, very famous. For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. All right. God, God has poured out grace, His unmerited favor, His goodness towards us. We have been saved because He is good and gracious to us through our faith in Jesus Christ. It's not because we're better than anyone else. It's not because we've worked our way to His salvation. It's not because we've perfected ourselves. It is completely and totally the sovereign work of God within us and toward us 
that calls us to faith in Him, and through that we're saved. So, since we have been justified by faith, justified means to be made right, to be brought into line. <clears throat> the implication here is that sin has caused us to be out of sync, out of line with God and His righteousness. But through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be brought into line with the righteousness of God. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope and the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. That can be hard, can't it? I think of so many friends around me and the circumstances of my own life, even you know, even pedestrian things like being being ill, being sick. Do I really am I reminded, am I mindful to rejoice in the midst of my suffering? And uh, let's be honest, I don't know your life, and, and so you may have a tale to tell that I'm not aware of, but, but really, I haven't suffered greatly in my life. I've been blessed. I had parents who were believing Christians and loving parents. But I am reminded today of my dad, who, in the latter days of his life, suffered a great deal. His body was no longer cooperating with him. He endured significant, persistent pain. We were blessed. We were blessed that his, his mind stayed with him all the way to the end. That is, that is a blessing that I know many do not enjoy, and that is a difficult path to walk. So we were greatly blessed by that. But it was difficult to watch him in his physical suffering. And my dad was, was, was no saint in, in the terms of being perfect. He would be the first to tell you. That's why he loved that song that we sang this morning. That we're so reminded about our infirmity and our need for grace. And yet, God pours out his graciousness to us. He was, he was very aware of that. But I can say through all the years of, of illness and heart issues and, and loss uh, when my mother passed away and uh, being the last of his siblings to, to be alive was a burden that, that, that weighed on him. That even through all of that, he gave such a great example of, of rejoicing in the Lord even as he suffered. The day before he passed, I left to go to Fairbanks to lead a missions conference there and uh, had a great time and uh, really got the word just shortly after that evening was over. Uh, my sister had been trying to track me down, but I was out of cell phone range. We were out chasing the northern lights up in Fairbanks with a couple of, couple of you know, green guys. I've never seen him, never experienced that. And we did, we found him. It was great, it was beautiful. But in that time period, Dad passed. And I was reminded, even in that moment, 
that he had given me such a great example of someone who endured much in his life. He came to Christ very late, uh, not long before I was born, and lived a hard life before that. Was a hard man before that. And yet he gave the example of one who, even though his childhood had been far less than perfect, even though he'd had experiences and betrayals and and uh, had done things of his own that weighed on his conscience and, and sometimes made him question whether he was a good man. He understood deeply the goodness that came to him by being justified by his faith with God. It's an example that I, I hope I can set for my own sons. I don't think I'm as good a man as my dad was, but I appreciate his example and his faithfulness, that he lived these words, that he rejoiced even in his sufferings, because he knew that suffering produced endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That phrase, hope does not put us to shame. What does he mean by that? How, how could hope put us to shame? And I think what he's trying to say here is that there would be those who look at us as we suffer, as we endure, as we allow our character in Christ to be developed. As we then become people of hope, naturally having hope. This is so important. I was uh, messaging with a friend earlier this week who's been reading uh, some material by Dallas Willard, who is uh, a theologian who's now passed, that, that Jason and I have been deeply impacted by. And uh, this is one area, uh, kind of similar to C.S. Lewis, uh, who, who writes in uh, one of his books, uh, The Story of His Own Life, Surprised by Grief where he found hope, even in the midst of, of great struggle and trial. But as this friend was reading, he sent me some messages about uh, this idea where religion, which some of us grew up in very religious environments, where the emphasis was placed on all of the external things that we do, like make sure that you're checking off all the boxes of reading the Bible, and sharing the gospel and attending church and, and being in Sunday school. And for us, it was Sunday school and church and then training in, in the evening and in church again. And maybe if you were a teenager, there was youth choir in between and then Tuesday night visitation and then Wednesday night youth group. And whoo! There was a lot to do, a lot of boxes to check. Make sure that you're, you're listening to only the right music and wearing only the right clothes. and. And, uh, you know, just all these, these religious, legalistic things that have grains of righteousness in them, but they become tools of abuse in the hands of, of ambitious men in particular. And instead, contrasting that with, instead of, of being religious, being righteous. But the Bible teaches us that we have no righteousness of our own. So that righteousness comes to us because it's the gift of God. It's a byproduct. It's a result. 
It's a natural result of becoming a true follower of Christ. Now we call that in, in religious terms or, or, or theological words, we call that sanctification. To be sanctified means to be continually and progressively made more holy. Now in a, in a religious environment, we turn that into rules. Conform to the rules that whoever's decided, whatever church you might be in or denomination you might be in, maybe even within your family, whoever's decided what that list of rules is, uh, he's not here today, but uh, Don actually will, will lament to me every now and then when he got uh, mixed up with uh, what's called IBLP. If you've watched the documentary Shiny Happy People that came out lately, they talk about this. Bill Gothard and, and that environment, how he got mixed up with a group like that and convinced him to, to burn all of his uh, albums and cassette tapes. And he said, man, I had some classics that were great. And then he rejoices that he was able to, to break free of that, that legalism and that bondage. And so religion takes sanctification and turns it into a list of rules. But a relationship with God understands that that work begins to happen on the inside and works its way out from the inside to the outward person to where we naturally become people who love the things of God, who want to do what is right, who want to rejoice in the name of God, who want to declare the good news of Jesus Christ. It just becomes part of who we are. Nobody's making us do it. We're not trying to make sure we impress anybody else. We're just like, it's like uh, the prophet Elijah said, it's like a fire that's shut up in my bones and it's got to get out. That's how the righteousness of God should work sanctification, this continual progression towards holiness in the life of the believer. And that's where, how, how does hope become something that one might be ashamed of? When the world looks at a life that has suffering and a, and a life that, that realizes our need for God's grace and his salvation, and then we say, but we're hopeful. We, God is working in me, and I'm joyful. And I want to tell you about the good news of Jesus. They might look at us and say, that's crazy. Look at the world around you. It's a complete disaster and mess. There's nothing to be hopeful for. But the writer here, Romans, says, that hope will not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We see God in the Holy in, in, the, in the Old Testament. God the Father is God who is for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's an Old Testament. And then we see Jesus. God in the flesh, first, the first chapter of John tells us. And we sang it this morning, Emmanuel, God with us. So, God for us, Jesus, God with us. Right? And then we talked here a few weeks ago about Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will send you a helper and he will dwell where? Within you. God in us. 
And so the writer here says that as we come to Christ through this grace that he's offered and it activates our faith to where we believe in him and we follow him and we begin to become people who even in the midst of suffering can rejoice with God. That our hope in whatever, which our hope is in who? Our hope is in Christ, right? That that hope will never put us to shame because God will always follow through. And then verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now he's going to put a finer point on this in just a moment. He says, while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly are weak because they're living in their own strength. And even in their own strength, they can't overcome the burden that is sin and destruction. And so Christ died for who? The ungodly. Me. And you. Then he goes on to, to, to give a little, a little contrast here. He says, you know, one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. That still rings true, doesn't it? I mean, if you were, if you were put on the spot... And you were asked to sacrifice your own life for a terrible person. Would you just buy into that? A lot of us would say, yeah, sure, I'm a, I'm a, a man, my chips are down, I don't know. Some people are just wired that way, to be sacrificial. But, you know, Father's Day, Father's a fitness for your child. Your grandchild. Most of, most of us not even bat an eye. In fact, sometimes we've been in circumstances where we've jumped in front of danger just because of that. Moms do. Siblings. Familial relationships. Best friends. Someone we really care for and adore. Often not even a second thought. And he acknowledges that. He says, eh, you know, maybe for a good person, for a good person, somebody might die. Verse 8. But God. We've talked talk about this. Those are two of my favorite words in all of Scripture every time they show up. But God. Yet, God. Because I know something different is about to happen. And it's going to be com completely, radically opposite of whatever we just talked about. And here it is. But God shows his love for us and that not while we were just weak, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the rejoicing. That's, that's the hope. That's what gives us the hope. That what, that's what allows us to, to sustain through the suffering and to have our character developed and to be shaped and formed. And uh, Scripture uses the, the metaphor of shaped by a potter's hand. We've seen the, the video here that we show usually about once a year uh, the, on the sculpture, you know, the, the guy being chiseled as God works and how that can be painful. 
that's a response. We allow that to happen. Literally because of this verse. That God shows his love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's no guarantee that any one of us would respond in faith. To the call of God's grace. But he died in He didn't wait for us to get better. He didn't wait for us to get our own holiness. He didn't wait for us to work out our righteousness. He didn't wait for us to be nicer or kinder or smarter. While we, while you, while I were still sinners, Christ, God in the flesh, the first and only begotten of God, the creative voice of all that we see around us. Scripture says, lay down his life. Gave it. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I freely give it. Why? Because he loves you, my friends. Now, how does that get us to Christmas? Well, I mean, we could make that line pretty easily, right? But we have this opportunity that's coming December 2nd. The wheels are already in motion. The contracts have been signed. And God is already moving to make this what I hope will be one of the greatest things that we've seen in our community. And that is, our friends Chosen Road will be here with us December 2nd to give a concert at the Wendy Williamson over on UAA campus. Christmas concert, Anchorage's own hometown Christmas. Free, open to the public, and an opportunity to share the gospel with as many people as who will come to see that show. Our friends in Alaska Baptist Resource Network have already told me they're going to cover all of the airfare for that. Our friends at uh, Main Event uh, Catering, they also have a restaurant over off Old Seward, Bill and Kimberly Fisher, I saw him a few weeks ago. Uh, he's offered to use their Airbnbs to cover all of our lodging. It's starting to get exciting because all that's money. <laughs> but we're not doing this for money, and we're not doing it because we're not going to make any money. We're doing it because there are people who need to hear the message I just gave you. There are people who will show up to that venue to celebrate Christmas. So many of our friends in our community who love Christmas but don't know Jesus. And they will come to enjoy a Christmas show. And it's not a bait and switch. We're going to be very upfront. This is. We know why we're giving the concert. Because we're celebrating Jesus. But the opportunity will be there to share the gospel. And friends, here's my, here's my challenge to us this morning. Uh, I have zero idea if anyone has given towards that effort. We, we made it our giving goal for May and June. You okay? You good? Um... You know, you can give through our online portal, you can write a check, whatever, and you mark it Christmas, it will go towards that. I, I don't know if anybody's given anything to that. Alright? But I encourage you to do so, so we can continue to move that ball forward. But everything I just said to you is the reason why. I want you to be in, I want you to be, be engaged, I want you to be invested in Christ Community Church, sharing the gospel potentially with hundreds of people in one evening. 
So be reminded of your salvation, the gift that God has given you when he activated your faith and poured his grace out upon you so that even in suffering, you and I can be people who have hope. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we have an opportunity to tell others that same story in the most natural event of the entire calendar, the story of Christmas, the advent of Jesus. I want you to catch that vision. I want you to be invested in the idea. Do what you can as we start to make some advertising around town. Tell people. Help us build the excitement. Share the message. And more than anything, pray. Pray underneath of that event that God will not only be glorified, but the house will be full for those who can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Chase, would you show me that uh, Psalms passage? <clears throat> Can we read this together as we uh, close? We'll have one more song before we leave today. Let's read this together. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Go ahead and put that next section up there. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious is the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maiden servant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. In the book of Acts, we see at the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles that they're given an assignment to go and share the gospel with all the world. But it starts where? In Jerusalem, their hometown. Start there and share the gospel. So I'm encouraging you this morning to be reminded of the grace and the salvation that God has given to you. Be one like the psalmist who will lift up then the cup of salvation before the people and, and make their vows. Give their sacrifices to the Lord in thanks for his salvation. And that in the midst of all of Jerusalem, we will praise the Lord.